as you remain standing in reverence and respect for the hearing of the words of the gospel of our Jesus Christ, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to John's gospel in the 20th chapter, verses 1 to 18. Open your hearts to the hearing of the good news. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, setting where the body of Jesus had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts in this place be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our resurrection. Amen. I know that Lent is over. Hallelujah. (laughs) But I have a confession still to make to you this morning. I hate math. I'm sorry, I just do. I hate math. I've never been good at it. And in fact, I just have to make the grand assumption that math is dumb. 
Do I have any math friends who feel the same way? Amen. Speak boldly. Well, I have to say, addition and subtraction have helped a little. I, I benefit from that part. Maybe multiplication and division helped a little bit occasionally, but that's where it stopped. In seminary, we are taught as students something called preacher's math. And that's all I've needed all my career is preacher's math. Like today, I'm sure the ushers will take account of this sanctuary and come away with perhaps there are 380 people here. Preacher math says there's 2,405 here and we will stick with the preacher math. Percentages, ratios, not important. We won't even get on about how I've dealt with geometry, algebra one, algebra one, algebra two. Do you see what I did there? Algebra one, algebra one. If you want a real laugh, let's start talking trigonometry or calculus. And I'll leave your group and come over to this other group and talk about seeing dead people. So when I talk to you this morning about a resurrection ratio, understand it comes not from my math genius and not really fully from my vast theological understandings about death and life, but it comes from the glory of this amazing Easter day. The excitement that it brings as we gather together, either online or in person, as the people of God to proclaim that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Can you imagine the pain and the grief those followers of Jesus were experiencing in those three days? Perhaps those of us who have lost someone very close to us can begin to fathom the amount of grief that they felt. Their grief was so palpable that they could taste it. It was weighing down their very insides, weighing them down so much that they could not breathe. And so Mary returns to the tomb. In her grief, she returns to have a conversation with the dead Jesus just like a good southern person does. We talk to our dead. But upon arrival, she finds that the tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away. So she turns around, flies with the greatest of speed, back to the broken and unbreathing of those disciples, the few that still hung together, and told them what she had seen. They've taken the Lord from the tomb. That's not what she saw. She saw the stone rolled away. But she made an assumption. It was her assumption that someone had come in the night, stolen the body of Jesus Christ, and now she couldn't see anything. Not even resurrection. Peter and the other disciple ran like crazed men. They ran not toward a son who was coming home from a distant land after living a prodigal life, but they ran instead to a tomb where a dead man was supposed to be. Now we know from biblical studies that the other disciple was most likely John. John the youngest, 
and as we learn in this passage, the fastest of all the disciples. Beloved by Jesus because this other disciple was one who was open to the words, receptive to the love of Jesus Christ, that he ran with every bit of his strength to see what Mary had seen. The other disciple got to the tomb entrance but stopped right there. He looked in, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in for some reason, not, not just then. And in this passage, my mind pictures Peter running. Peter, old like me, red in the face, sucking air, unable to stop because the momentum is so great by this point that he doesn't just lean into the tomb, he goes barreling and stumbling into the tomb. And once inside, he sees the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth to another side. And it's at that moment that the other disciple comes in and the writer of this passage tells us he saw it and he believed it. Now I've always felt that this passage is telling us that there's a ratio here. There must be a ratio that is met for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to happen. For me, it's a ratio of one to three, or maybe it's going to be to four. I don't know. I'm not good at math. You see, the resurrection of Jesus cannot happen in a vacuum. The first part of the ratio is the one. By that I mean there must be at least one person whom will be affected by the death of Jesus Christ. Affected so much that the weight of Jesus' actions caused them to stop what they are doing and to examine why this event has touched their hearts and lives in such a way. This one is one whom Jesus loves so much and so dearly. The one whom he would call beloved. The beloved of Christ. Again, our scripture studies say that it's John, the disciple, because that's tradition. But I believe that this morning the scripture is very plain in simply saying other disciple. Because it wants to give us a message. It's a simple one. I believe this one has no name because it's simply the one whom Jesus loved and calls beloved. And friends, that's you. Jesus loves you. And calls you beloved. Without you, my friends, there is no need for a resurrection on this day. There is one. And that one must be put up against the next three or maybe four. A resurrection ratio to three or to four. We'll find out. If we continue to look at this scripture, we will see that there are three vital steps on the first day of the week. To make it the day of resurrection. First, you have Mary going to the tomb. Mary went to talk and to be with the late Jesus. But she came away with an assumption instead. But we'll deal with Mary more in a moment. And then you have Peter and the other disciple running to see what Mary had seen and told them of. So that they could confirm that the stone had been rolled away. And that the assumption that the body had been taken actually happened. Upon arrival, it's the other disciple that sees the open tomb as 
this other disciple leans in, seeing the linen cloths all folded neatly where the body of Christ must have been laid. But this disciple, this other one, is a bit hesitant. Hesitant to enter this tomb. Maybe because of the sacredness of the space. Maybe because of the fear of seeing a dead body. Maybe worse, seeing a dead body that intruders have come and mutilated. Maybe because the fear of not seeing a dead body that was supposed to be there. Maybe, maybe because the words of Jesus, which this beloved one remembers, might actually have come true. Peter just runs on in and sees a totally empty tomb, the face cloth by itself. Now, I'm not sure why we're told that. I'm sure it has some special meaning. But the other disciple finally comes on in. They have gone to the tomb. And the second thing we see is that they see. The other disciple had to see for himself the empty tomb with the neatly folded grave clothes lying where the body of Jesus was to be. This sighting proved two things. First, Jesus was OCD. He put everything in its proper place. Thank you, Lord. He was like me. Seriously, it really teaches us only one important thing. The tomb is empty. And the body of Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, is gone. They've gone. They've seen. The third thing was to believe. The words of Jesus come back to that other disciple, and they believed. Oh, it's not still uh, incomprehensible to fully understand what they're believing, but they're going to believe. He believes it in his heart. And at that moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ took on a meaning and a power, not just for that one other disciple, but for every disciple who is beloved by God through Jesus Christ for all time. You are the beloved of God. Remember, and you have been called this morning to the tomb on this bright, beautiful Easter morning. You're called because God wants to share with you the one whom God loves the most, God's greatest work and God's way out of the wilderness of life for you. God desires to offer to you and to me and to every one of God's beloved children a new way of life. A way of life in the midst of grief, in the midst of the world trying to entomb us into its categories and its way of thinking. It happens, this resurrection. It happens when you and I go and see where Jesus is. It happens when you and I open our eyes to the possibilities around us for a new and exciting life just like Jesus promised and foretold could be. It happens when you and I believe, but we can't see. It happens in the heart, in the eyes of our heart that are bright with understanding. And you and I go forth in faith regardless. But it also happens. It happens when you hear your name spoken. One who is the resurrection and the life calls out to you. And you respond, my Lord, my God. And begin to embrace the truth as your truth.
as our life. That's when resurrection happens. This is the possible fourth ratio, making it a one to four, if you will. When we keep on searching, even in the deepest part of our grief and pain, of of injustice and hate, when we keep on searching for what we know and working toward what we know is the will of Almighty God, Jesus will call us by our name. Like Mary, we will be called to keep on. Keep on searching in all the places where Jesus might be. A garden, a cemetery, your office, your classroom, in your home, in the local penitentiary, at a doctor's office, back at the place where you grew up, on the road with a prodigal, even in a dry and barren wilderness of your own life. If we keep searching, Jesus will call. Will call you by your very name, granting you resurrection joy. Here and now, not some distant time in the by and by. That will be for sure, but even now is resurrection day. It happens when we hear our name. Resurrection happens today. Regardless of the ratio, which I probably have royally messed up, and to all math teachers everywhere, I apologize. But resurrection happens and depends all on you this morning and what you do with this great, glorious news of great joy. You see... You came this morning in this space, online. You came to this time of worship for some reason. Maybe it's guilt. Your mother has made you be here today. Thank you, Mom. Maybe it's tradition. This is what you always do on Easter Sunday. Maybe it's because you're searching for hope. You need a community. You're looking for a new beginning. And you saw as you came that the tomb is empty. There's people out and about singing, shouting, finding Easter eggs, proclaiming and laughing and just hugging on one another and hearing the strangest of messages. And you believe. I pray, I pray you believe that you find the stone of the tomb of your own life rolled away this morning because Christ has called you out Christ calls you his beloved disciple and calls you by your name. What will you do with all of this great good news? Will you simply go home? Or will you go out and bring others to come and see and to believe as we listen for our name? Christ is risen! In the name of the resurrecting God and the resurrected Christ and of the resurrecting calling spirit. Amen.